The content discussed in the Left Behind series and therefore this podcast includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. His Excellency, global community potentate Nikolai Carpathia, is back. Resurrected and indwelt by the devil himself, the beast tightens his grip as ruler of the world. Terror comes to the believers in Greece as they are among the first to face the benignly named but hideous guillotine death contraption, the loyalty enforcement facilitator. The gloves are off, and the battle is launched between the forces of good and evil for the very souls of men and women around the globe. Left Behind is a multimedia franchise that started with a series of 16 best-selling religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B.J. by Tim LaHaye. The future has come to pass. everybody, welcome to another episode of I Survived the Rapture. We're that podcast that slogs our way through the Left Behind novel series so you don't have to. I'm your lapsed evangelical Shane Bazell. And I'm your ecumenical fanboy, Gavin Russell. Okie dokie. We're done with the indwelling, the underwhelming. It's time to get into the mark. Oh, here we go. The beast rules the world. Okay, well, so I really want to talk about this, but before we do... I would like to give a shout-out to a listener, Gavin. Oh, awesome. Okay. Who is it? So, um, today's little shout-out, and this is not a paid promotion. This is just um, for one of our listeners out there, a friend of mine. Uh, His name is Marshall Myers. He called me up a little while ago, and we were talking about the podcast. And turns out, if you want some Christian fiction that is written from, like, a Christian perspective, right, that is not this... You know, it's Mm -hmm. not Christian fan fiction. Uh, Marshall is an author. He is a fantasy author. And I would say that when I say Christian fiction, think more in the C.S. Lewis vein of things. Like his faith definitely informs the kind of stories that he tells, but it is complete uh, fantasy anthology. You know, he takes place in his own world and everything. I'm going to read you from the Amazon description of uh, his anthology. It's called Tales of the Angelic Siblings. Tales of the Angelic Siblings is a massive anthology, the brainchild of author Marshall Myers. Myers was born with cerebral palsy and has used a wheelchair for mobility all his life. His writing is made possible by voice recognition software coupled with his vibrant imagination and thirst for epic adventure. Myers began writing professionally in 2008. He has completed four novels and one book of short fiction, essays, and poems. All five works are contained in this omnibus. So, Tales of the Angelic Siblings, um, I have purchased it on Amazon. Um, I have a digital copy. You can also, I believe, buy physical copies. Yes, you can buy a paperback copy. I'm seeing it right here. Um, It is available on there. So if you guys are looking for something to kind of, you know, take the sting out of having to read these left behind books and you want to read something better, um, I highly recommend checking out Marshall's work. Go purchase the book there on Amazon. Purchase it paperback. I believe it's also available uh, through Kindle and on Kindle Unlimited. So if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, um, I believe you can get it on there as well. Awesome. Okay, nice. Big props, big shout out to Marshall. Okay, so now that we've talked about some good books, uh, let's talk about 
some left behind books. <laughs> yeah, and already on the cover, I'm seeing some circuitry behind the title, so you know we're in for uh, we're in for a, a bumpy ride here. Oh my guy! By the end of this part of the book, it is gonna seem like it was written yesterday. <laughs> and I'll let you know once we get there, but you'll you'll find out. The subtitle is "The Beast Rules the World." One of the more metal titles I think that we've come across so far. Yeah, the uh, the Beast takes possession was also a pretty metal title. Yeah, the Beast rules the world. Uh, it's a good follow up. Now we've got you said circuitry. It's like a circuitry diagram or like a microchip kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably going to be relevant. And then like one eyeball. Yeah, like over on the right, like the eyeball is kind of peeking out from behind the K. Like hello. <laughs> I wonder who that's supposed to be. I, I maybe it's supposed to be Nikolai. Like it's not like a creepy Sauron eyeball. It's just like a just an eye. Yeah, it's that someone's like forehead almost. Mm-hmm. Maybe and I don't know. Pick it up and the book's like, what you doing? This is gonna all happen in a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna happen. So come, come listen to my book. It's got silly voices in it. Uh, speaking of yeah, silly voices, that was my segue. How'd you like yeah. that? <laughs> that was pretty good. So you got to listen to this on audiobook as well, and you got firsthand exposure to uh, the voice of Stephen King's Dark Tower himself, Frank Muller, mm-hmm. as our new audiobook reader. So what did you think about Frank's performance versus Richard Ferrone? <sighs> Okay, so he's hit or miss on voices. I'll get I'll give him that. Like some voices I really like. Uh he he's he definitely has done voice work before, so he can bring some vibrance to the characters. And then others, especially Nikolai, just absurd. Okay, so I've gotta hand it to Frank because he does voices. Yes. He actually does character voices, he does accents. I would say that Richard Farone hints at accents. Like he definitely gives slight distinctions in between character voices like he may raise in pitch he may put a very slight accent on you know he may change kind of the tone of his voice maybe move around the mic a little bit and it's good it's very unobtrusive and fine frank is an actor and he really gets into it Mm -hmm. and um sadly we won't be able to see much work by frank muller um he actually was hospitalized i believe in 2001 and he passed away uh several years later but was at a point where he could no longer do audiobook recording and he had become prolific like i think he did like some of john grisham's books and stephen king obviously so he's got a huge body of work really talented dude but you're right in some of his choices while true to the text I'm specifically talking about Nikolai. They're fun. <laughs> yeah, I'll give him that. Like, they are fun, but, like, sometimes when he's having fun, it takes away from, like, some sometimes the tone of the scene. Okay, I told you this when you started reading the book. The Nikolai voice, I can only see one person. And I know you haven't watched all of What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> no, I haven't. But when you get to season two of What We Do in the Shadows, uh, Luke Skywalker himself... Mark Hamill makes a guest appearance on probably the best episode of the show so far. Okay. Um, the Jackie Daytona episode, and he plays a character named Jim the Vampire. And Jim the Vampire sounds identical to Nikolai in this audiobook. My God. Everything he says is so like this. Oh, Leon Fortunado, my good friend. <laughs> it is 100% Mark Hamill doing a vampire voice, and it's amazing heck yeah so now i see resurrected nikolai as as mark hamill the vampire (laughs) 
He's not Robert Redford anymore. He's Jim the Vampire, and it's so good. And the fact that he is, I get it, he's Romanian, mm-hmm. right? So, like, of course you're going to do a Romanian kind of accent, but the level to which Frank Muller takes it. Yeah, it, for me, since I don't have that context, all I just see is the Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> One horseman, ah, ah, ah. Two horsemen, ah, ah, ah. Oh, have you seen that video where they they beep out the count saying the word count and it sounds like he's saying Yeah, that was like go to like high watching material in high in uh, college. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, you can go a lot of ways. You can go count Chocula. You can go the the count. Is he called the Count Von Count? Isn't that his name? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, like any like absurd vampire, you can you can kind of make that yeah, as Nicolai. Bella Lugosi, Leslie Nielsen, you know. This man is a Muppet. <laughs> so it, it kind of does take away a little bit of his sting, though. And we're going to talk about Nikolai later. I think that the change in Nikolai's character now that Nikolai isn't at the wheel anymore is very funny. Yeah. You said um, less threatening. You said Muppet, and all I had was like the mental image of Satan just like shoving his hand like up Nikolai's. Like, <laughs> just taking control. That's how he indwells. Let's jump into chapter one. Yeah, uh, we're gonna do it. All right, chapter one time. So we open up after the long prologue, which, as you guys have come to expect by this point, we have the believers, the non-believers, the undecided. Um, I think the battle lines are even more strictly drawn now because we've got Albie in the ranks. Um, I think our only undecided now is Hattie. Yeah, right? just Hattie. Uh, we got the only enemies right now is Nikolai and Leon. Uh, Leon is a professed believer instead of just being a believer. You mean Albie? Yeah, Albie, yeah. Oh, oh, I forgot about that because Ray still doesn't trust Albie and we're supposed to believe that by the end of the indwelling that Albie is not entirely legit. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because Albie's one of the best written characters in the series so far. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that they try to not make him one i'm gonna talk about that later okay so yes we end the prologue with if you thought the tribulation was bad get ready for the great tribulation ah 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 (laughs) (laughs) that's really what it is oh man and i wish there was like some music that was like slowly building Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, even our ending Satan is real theme would be good for that. Yeah. So we get into chapter one. Um, David is running around the scene immediately post-resurrection in a panic. He's trying to find Annie. Because if we remember last time, Annie Christopher, his fiance, is missing. Yeah. After the lightning strikes. And I just wrote, new book, new Nikolai. <laughs> um, so there's a quote in here somewhere. Nikolai knew him, of course, but the look, though it contained recognition, did not carry the usual acceptance and encouragement David was used to. That very welcoming gaze had always unnerved him, yet he preferred it over this. For this was a transparent gaze that seemed to pass through David, which nearly moved him to step forward and confess his treachery and that of every comrade in the tribulation force. So immediately we have the change in Nikolai, which I actually don't hate. I don't hate that the way they are starting to characterize Satan Nikolai, which we're just going to continue calling him Nikolai. We're not going to make a distinction. But what they're kind of putting out as the Satan persona is very almost manic. Um, He doesn't care. Like he's still trying to do the Nikolai act that he's been watching for however many years he's been manipulating Nikolai but he's not good at it. He has such disdain for humanity. He's literally a cosmic being that's looking at humanity 
and is disgusted by it. Because if we remember, like, from the story of Job, and then if you're reading uh, the, even the previous book with, like, Zion's visions, he hates humanity because God loves them. And it's kind of a, like, daddy never loved me, so I hate these guys. Mm -hmm. And that was actually something that when I got further into church and stuff, that that would come up from time to time. Satan's desire isn't to like bring you to his side so that you can be his child. No, it's to damn you for eternity because he hates you. Yeah. Which I think is kind of an interesting way of looking at things and always made a little bit more sense to me than just sort of a nebulous anti-God kind of thing. Um, you know, Satan has a hate for God, but he's always trying to outdo him and show that he is greater because God didn't love him the way that he loves humanity. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I can see that. Very well. much like a daddy never loved me, so I'm going to prove him wrong. <laughs> you know? Okay. Uh, so we get another neat observation on behalf of David because he's freaking out because he immediately kind of runs through like, oh, can he see through me? Can he see my mark? Does he know? And then he has to stop and go, wait, Satan's not omniscient. Yeah. When you were in church, how much power was attributed to the devil? Because I know it changes with every person and every set of beliefs and every denomination. But like, how powerful did you grow up thinking the devil was? There wasn't much time that I like fully understood what Satan was and then also believed in him. It, it was one of those things like, oh, he's all around us. And if you don't have like, you know, that armor of God on, he's going to like tempt you. So it's kind of like he it's kind of like that trickster, like serpent spirit almost that if you're not careful, he'll like lead you into temptation, that sort of thing. Like a Loki figure. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, else? yeah. Kind of like that. OK. <clears throat> and I actually think that that has a little bit of influence on certain depictions of Loki that you get like post Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, you start getting the horns and, you know, stuff like that, especially once you get into like popular modern ones, you know, you get the devil with the horns and that's why so many Marvel fans were freaking out when that one episode of Loki where they're like, it's Mephisto. They're like, no, it's, they're talking about Loki, dude. So funny enough that you mentioned the count. Mm -hmm. My first memory of a depiction of Satan was on a kid's, church like sing-along vhs with puppets and their devil that they showed um was basically a count von count puppet but it had like fluorescent pink skin a blue cape and glowing yellow eyes oh my god like yeah imagine if somebody took um you remember trigon from teen titans yeah yeah if you like got rid of two of his eyes and made him a muppet God. Yeah. <laughs> Nightmare fuel. No, dude, it was. Like, I specifically, for a long time, like, when you think of what, like, you know, Satan looks like as a tiny, tiny kid, like, that was my depiction of Satan. And now I think back on it, and I'm like, it was a Muppet. <laughs> and so, and when you say the Count Von Count, like, I think I might go away from Jen the Vampire into the Count going forward. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this perception of, uh, Nikolai as, like, a Satan figure isn't carry on to, um, to the rest of the GC, because the rest of the GC is like, oh, man, this, this has got to be God, like, who else can it be? Like, he, like, did you see what he did on CNN? And I can't blame them. Yeah. Like, of course they're gonna think he's God. The dude literally raised himself from the dead. He did. Yeah. Um, that's on not a lie. Television. Yeah, it's not a trick. It's not a lie. He came back from the dead. So, at this point, I get that Tim and Jerry are trying to say, like, well, if they don't believe now, they're lost. I, I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, but I mean, what would you think? You know, yeah, and you I see think, a dude like, raise himself from the dead. You're like, okay. A few episodes, I think, I can't remember how many episodes it uh, was ago, but you posed me a question, like, if you were living in this time, how would you feel? And, like, at that time, I was like, I don't know. I'd kind of be conflicted at this point. If I didn't have, like, the mark of the lamb, I'd be like, oh, man, like, finally, like, God's here. 
<laughs> totally. Yeah. So, and speaking of that, everyone is in kind of controlled chaos. Like, it's not a big mass of people trampling each other. They're not panicking. Like, they're in, in like, a revelatory mood. Like, yeah. everyone is worshiping. They're praying. They're singing. They're dancing. Their savior just came back. David, in the midst of it, is running around trying to find anything, trying to find a bike, trying to find a golf cart, trying to find a skateboard, somewhere that he can get around to try to find Annie. And um, meanwhile, he is looking up at the stage and we get to hear Leon Fortunato telling everyone, worship him, worship your God. Now, I think we undercut Leon in addition to undercutting Nikolai with the voices here, too. Because Leon sounds like Luca Brazzi from The Godfather. <laughs> I hope your first child is a masculine child. <laughs> Thank you for seeing me today, Godfather. Like, that's what he sounds like. He sounds like a big mobster guy who's wearing, like, a, a bowler hat that's too small for his head. <laughs> So whenever, like, oh, he's the false prophet. I he, no. Good he's just to see one, you. He's Thank just, you for coming. Yeah, exactly. bless you, bless you. <laughs> Worship your king. Bow before his majesty. Uh, <laughs> Worship Lord Nikolai, your god. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> hey, ba bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> Dark magic. You believe in him now? <laughs> bada bing, bada boom, bada believe. <laughs> And, like, in that voice you were doing is very, very close <laughs> to the actual one. So if you guys haven't listened to the audiobook, that's Leon. That's your Leon now, and you're never going to be able to unhear it. So we cut away from the chaos at the resurrection to the safe house. Mm -hmm. Not the old one, the new one. So if we're back in the strong building. The strong building. <laughs> <laughs> building um, strong, no fall down in Chicago. Um, so Ray's kind of rolling through the strong building, looting everything. He's yeah. grabbing computers. He's grabbing office furniture. Like he's trying to check and see if there's anything in the fridge. Everybody's sort of rushing around trying to get set up. And he starts thinking about, we're probably already compromised because we think Albie's GC. I don't really know him all that well. And he refers to him as Ray's dark Middle Eastern friend. Lots of focus in this book on people's skin color. Like, that is one of the only differentiating factors that Jerry chooses to use for a lot of secondary characters is their skin color. Which, like, okay, on its surface, not really a problem, but the fact that it happens so often gets a little weird. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're rolling around the strong building. Um, Chloe's over here getting co-op stuff set up. Buck is resting with Kenny and, like... And we have Zion and Hyam are working together and starting to study together because Zion is taking all of his time. He hasn't even started broadcasting yet. Training Hyam specifically. Ooh. Now you said something no, last time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I wanted to kind of circle back to that. Keep an eye on these two. Yes. That's all I mean, I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not taking my eye off these guys. Yep. So um, Ray knows that he has to go pick up Albie. Um, so he gets in a helicopter, which they have a helicopter pad. Um, they have a helicopter that Albie acquired for them last time. So that's going to be their primary mode of transportation. That and a few of the other jets. Some of the stuff that T had, like they have a working fleet of aircraft at this point. Yeah. So remember back in the day when money didn't matter? Yep. I guess it still kind of doesn't. Yeah, because <laughs> now they can just siphon off the GC or like loot Chicago and they have whatever they need. Right, because we got to remember that Albie is still their lifeline to that between Albie and David because mm -hmm. David has made Albie like a big wig in the GC databases. Yeah. So he is still kind of their fixer. He is now their fixer with like both Tribulation Force and GC approval. Oh my God, the Tribulation Force have become the boomers from Fallout New Vegas. 
They're just like they're the, all holed up with yeah. a bunch of military equipment. Yeah, yeah. They're the boomers <laughs> from New Vegas. Yeah. Well, four boomers by boomers. <laughs> We're closing out the chapter. David is watching thousands of people lining up for Nikolai. And it becomes very, very clear at almost like it's like a procession at like a pope's funeral. Mm-hmm. But just like with the funeral itself, not everybody's going to be able to get there. Yes, like I even said like earlier in the chapter that some people like realized, oh man, after hours of waiting, they're not going to get to see what they came like thousands of miles to see. Right, it's hundreds of thousands of people. There's no way. And so this one guy stands up and he is a, a Mexican guy and he says, hey, what if we just worship the statue? And of course, Frank does a very Mexican accent, which is very funny considering what the GC officer says in response. You have the heart of a, of a Torador, the guard said. Let me check on it. And he whispers like behind him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone worship the statue. Good, good, good plan. Hello, Mexican man. You have the heart of a Toreador. <laughs> you know what a Toreador is, right? It's like wrestler. No, the bullfighter. Oh, the bullfighter. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. bullfighter. Uh, <laughs> so- I don't even know if it's intentionally cringe, like on Jerry's part, because it reminds me of like how bad Leon was at like at like brown nosing people on a cultural level. Mm -hmm. You know, like remember a specific fact about their region and then say that back to them. People like that use their names like, you know, when Leon was doing that. I don't know if this is intentional cringe or not. Yeah, Um, we can be charitable to Jerry and say it is, but maybe it's not. All right. So we're into chapter two. Uh, Ray's on his way to pick up Albie and he has this other weird monologue because like we're never going to be shy of like Ray monologues like yeah. monologues and he starts talking about his opposite trigger mode. Yeah, he had learned from an old friend in college something he had then rejected as too esoteric and way touchy feely. His broad minded friend had called it his opposite trigger mode. And while in it, he forced himself to respond in ways diametrically opposed to how he felt. If he wanted to shout, he whispered. If you want to smack somebody, he gently caressed his or her shoulder. Which, okay, if you want to smack somebody and you gently caress their shoulder, that is still physical touch and, like, weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Okay, I did write something in my notes. This is Christian Men's Ministry 101. This is, like, Promise Keepers. You know much about Promise Keepers? Uh, a little bit. We gotta do a side story episode on Promise Keepers at some point. It was a Christian, like, evangelical men's ministry. Lots of baggage that goes in there. But basically, like, it was, hey, uh, men, uh, don't hit your wife. Uh, don't hit your kids. You know, don't cheat on your wife. Don't be gay. Uh, Jesus loves you. Basically, dude, there's so much like that I we could go into about promise. This keepers. already sounds like there's there's heavy baggage to it, dude. It is there are, are smarter people and better essayists and journalists than me um, who have done the promise keepers deep dive. Um, and I may find some of those resources. Uh, if anybody knows any good like video essays or podcasts about promise keepers, definitely share them on the page. But yes, a lot of this like now we know you want to hit your wife. But don't. <laughs> it's definitely in there. God. Oh, God. And they had these big conferences like a lot of evangelical like ministry organizations will do. Now we are back to David again. Still can't find Annie. And he's rushing through like medical services. He's trying to pull rank wherever he can. And no one's buying it. Like no one cares. So many people are injured, dying, dehydrated suffering from burns yeah um, or just straight up dead because of lightning strikes um, that that. he can't get the information that he needs 
the medical staff is at capacity and above. Yeah, there's so much uh, chaos that, like, some people aren't even being, like, logged in the systems yet. That, like, that's how many people they're having to go through. That not everyone, um, they've had the chance to be able to, like, catalog, hey, this person's okay, this person's dead. They're just trying to attend to as many people as possible. And with every passing moment that he doesn't hear from Annie, David is freaking out more and more. Back to Ray again. He lands at Kankakee. He picks up Albie. This is one of the points where Albie continues to be one of the better characters. He's like, uh, hey, did we make sure that that safe house was torched? Because we should. And Ray's like, oh, I didn't think of that. And Albie's like, I know you didn't think of it because you're a bad leader, but let's go do that. <laughs> right, yeah, we definitely have like a little bit of like power struggle in this, uh, not only power struggle, it's more like Rayford not knowing what to to do and Albie being like, well, obviously this is what you should be doing, Ray. It's Albie basically being like, I don't want to lead, but you're an idiot. Yeah. And you're a bad leader. Like you're indecisive. Like you don't think, I don't know why these people follow you. They must like you. Um, and he never tries to like grab for power. Yeah. But I he's think it, needling Ray's ego. I think at a, even at a certain point, he's like, I don't want this. Like this is, this is your thing, Ray. Yeah. But you need to do it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need people like that in your life. Surround yourself with people who are going to call you on your bullshit, especially yeah. if you're in a position of leadership. <laughs> so they decide that they're, that's where they're going to go. Um, and he calls back to the strong building to let them know they're going to be a little bit late. Zion answers the phone and says, uh, uh, Ray, just got a real desperate phone call for you. And he's like, oh, who from? Patty Durham. Oh, all right. Yep. Said she sounded desperate and would only talk to Ray. So Ray knows he's going to call Hattie back because what has she done this time? This time on the Hattie hijinks. (laughs) Trapped at the buffer rehabilitation um, facility, Hattie Durham's getting some wacky hijinks, (laughs) like almost dying again. (laughs) I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to milk that. No, wait. I've read the books. Yes, I do. God. So back to David and I wrote in here the intercutting is not bothering me as much this time. Yeah, it's it's not it's not bad. Like because I think it's an indwelling again like we saw in the off the record. We know what happens at the end of the indwelling. Our man gets indwelt. But at this like we don't know really what's going to happen with like the mark. So it's like the tensions amping up a little bit. Um there's like a, some mystery characters are like uncertain about their future and trying to like just get everything together. So yeah, it's it's working. And I'm going to put this point out there now when they intercut between characters typically those characters have something to do yes they're not sitting around wringing their hands or worrying or talking about how they're going to kill their baby they have something to do (laughs) yeah they have they have some sort of like agency and like a, a goal to go towards exactly um so back to david again he's going through the medical center and he learns that annie's sector got absolutely wrecked yep. by lightning sector 53 tons of um, lightning victims big bolt there i don't know if 53 has any like numerical significance but i wasn't able to find any yeah i, I i'm not nothing screaming about that yeah and like this is just a real quick david scene but something stuck out to me that i didn't like the use of the word um they talk about how viv leon and nikolai are kind of all standing on the stage sort of like their little trinity and how they're cooing to the supplicants i don't like that word this word that word gets used a few times in this book doesn't it yeah, yeah. and i i assume they mean like doing the vampire voice like oh yes good, good. Good. <laughs> like, we have you know, them all under our thrall yeah yeah i i assume that's what they mean but i don't like that word i don't know what it is i just don't like it yeah in his panic david eventually 
keels over and passes out from heat exhaustion. Yeah, and like just hits his jaw like on the concrete. Oh yeah, he gets wrecked. Yeah. Um. So just slams his head straight up into the pavement. Ray calls Hattie, and she is frantic because she's in Colorado in GC custody again. So what we find out about Hattie is basically the GC let her out of buffer because they wanted her to lead them to the tribulation force. And she didn't. And they were like, well, go get her again. We like, we can't have her running around out there. The plan didn't work. Go get her. And so they did. Um, and she demands that Ray come get her and then just hangs up on him. And so Albie kind of looks at Ray and goes, well, are you going to get her? And Ray's like, I don't know. And Albie kind of like rolls his eyes. He goes, man, I'm pretending to be a leader. And I'm a better leader than you. Yeah, he's like, your choice. But if I may say so, I expected you to be more decisive. I am just play acting. Yet I appear more of a leader than you are. Your people admire and respect you. It's obvious. And we're going to find out about Albie later that he does have some decent characterization as to why he is decisive and why he's good in a crisis. Like, he's a criminal. Yeah. Like, he's had, he's led a life of crime and organized crime to a degree. So, like, he knows how to make a decision under pressure. He knows how to weigh his options. Like, he's a good character. Yeah. So, he looks at Ray and goes, look, all right, I'm just going to give you this one for free. Here's your plan. Use David to keep her detained. Have him get into the mainframe or whatever he does and say that she's going to stay detained at that facility. Tell her you're not coming. And then we're going to show up and surprise them and pick her up and take her into our custody ray's just like oh okay sounds fine <laughs> and he's like yeah i know it's a good plan i thought of it now let's go <laughs> so david wakes up being attended to um he's getting stitches put in his head and he overhears some real big racist commentary between the doctor and the nurse that is actually performing the surgery putting the stitches in yeah he fell on his head medicine woman <laughs> calls the nurse medicine woman and then i think he says something about like i know you patched up braves on the reservation my god yikes and like it's i think she says like don't call me that but it's like never really examined beyond that and this is another thing like they, they keep putting most of the racist shit in the mouths of the gc mm -hmm. i'm starting to think it's deliberate yeah like you get the weird like skin color fixation and stuff in like the inner monologues but the outright racist statements are largely from the GC. Yeah. So David's condition isn't critical, but he's having to get stitches. Like they're having to patch up this big old gash in his head. And we end that chapter with Ray and Albie seeing the smoke of the burning safe house on the horizon. And they're like, well, that's done. <laughs> it won't be the last burning building uh, that we see in this section of the book. So on to chapter three, Buck wakes up in the strong building. He's kind of having a moment with Kenny. Yeah, and um, it's, it's all the cute Kenny stuff that we're used to. I'd He's like toddling to, and talking. I like to say something here real quick. Um, the, the beginning of this chapter, it's kind of like an odd, serene moment for Buck. Because like for a second, he kind of gets a sense of normalcy. Because for a while, he's just been having to like, he's always on the run. Like he even says like when he wakes up in a place, it takes him a second to figure out where he is and what he's doing. there. like, that's how fast he's moving. But finally... Finally, he's kind. He has a home again in the strong building, and he gets to wake up beside his son. So, like that—that's what really makes this moment like extra special. I think he's kind of having like an interesting arc now. Yeah, because like he's settling down. Yeah, despite all of this, and like you see that between him and Chloe later, which we actually have a halfway decent Buck and Chloe scene later. Yeah, it's still kind of like lol feminism, but we do have it. It's in there. Yeah. Um. So Ray goes ahead uh, with Albie's plan and they start flying uh, the jet that they're in 
toward Colorado. And they're going to land at the Carpathia Memorial Airstrip. And they we learn the new sign and countersign, the Heil Hitler, if you will, for the global community regime. Ah, he is risen. He is risen indeed. So how often did you hear that growing up in church? Uh, okay, you know what? That must have not been like like my Baptist church because like that wasn't like, because it was usually just like, oh, you know that Jesus loves you and stuff. Like it wasn't like we didn't have like kind of the. Oh, that was a big one when I was. That was especially among like older people. They'd be like, oh, good morning, brother Gavin. He's risen. Oh, he's risen indeed. You know, like, I didn't think we had, like, the call and response thing as often, like, for big group stuff. Because I know that there are churches that do that. Like, everybody will stand up and the pastor will say, he's risen. And you he's risen indeed. Like, the whole church will say it as a greeting. You know, that was pretty common among Mm -hmm. especially older folks. And so they make their way to that airport in Colorado. So there are lots of like big travel jumps. We don't get a lot of air time uh, for these. So David wakes up in the palace hospital. Um, he pulls his own IV out. I just wrote, don't do this. Yeah. And it's like, he he knew, he even David knows this is a bad idea. He was like, gotta do it. Gotta like, gotta get out of this hospital. Well, room. my man can't find his fiance. Like, I mean, what would you do? Yeah, you know, like if you if you had the authority to kind of throw your weight around and, and get this problem solved, I mean, you probably would, too. Yeah. You know, if you're worried about that and he instantly realizes his phone is missing. Yep. And that's instant. Like, oh, God, like the, the like the entire thing could be compromised. Like what's going on? I need to I need to find my phone. Need to get out of here now with all these advanced smartphones that they are pretending exist in like 2001 or whenever this book came out. I find it kind of funny that there's not like encryption (laughs) on these phones. Mm -hmm. So like, even if you got somebody's phone and you don't know their passcode, um, I don't know if, you know, if you know about your, your smartphone, most of them are encrypted um, on at least some level. So I think he's more worried about like his notifications popping up. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like it's like when you, you get a text and you're like, you know, you try to text somebody and you don't want somebody to see you're texting and it's like, oh, nobody. That was no, nothing. David, it says you have uh, a text from Rayford Steele, wanted criminal of the GC. You want to explain that? <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's just it's just a jet gag. That's it's the my... girl I'm cheating with. I'm cheating with her on on you with her. That's that's who it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's my it's my Minecraft server. Uh, we, we, uh... <laughs> if you guys want to start a Minecraft server called Rayford Steele, you know, get on it. We only build giant fire-filled naked statues on this oh, Minecraft you, you server. Know, you, you know that there's been like a left-behind Minecraft server, like somewhere. Oh, dude, it's line. a it's a left-behind RP Minecraft server. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we we get really immersive on here. Um, I play Ken Ritz, and I always have my bow out. I'm really cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh man, do we want to talk about? Do we want to derail this real quick and talk about the guy that you I, found? I, I think we have. I think we All have right, time. So yeah. we're not naming people, right? Like, but there was. Where did you find this? There was a left behind, like, like Facebook, like fan page, like that. I just started scrolling down. Go on. Oh god. Okay. So this guy, he's like really, really big into like he is like made an Excel spreadsheet of like the timeline of Left Behind. He writes fan fiction, like multiple ones, like gotten really big into it, wanting people like on this uh board to like engage and like read his stuff. And you know what's sad? No one replies to his stuff. I was gonna say, what are the engagement? 
engagement metrics, like what? on on the board itself, and then like his post. Like the board, it's like you know medium. Like you'll get like a few likes, maybe some comments on his. Most of them barren, dead, no likes, no comments. Oh, this poor guy. And like and, and like one of his posts is like, so with this whole like coronavirus thing, does that mean we have seven years left? Oh no. I don't want to say like we we didn't speak this into existence, but like. I'm kind of sad we joked about it now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to get worse throughout this section because we're going to get to the mark itself. <laughs> okay. So the nurse is attending to him. Um, she is not the same nurse that stitched him up, um, but David describes her servant's spirit, which is just Christian speak for like, you're a nice person. Mm-hmm. So you were, what were you saying? It's like, oh man, she's got to be a Christian or she's going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think he looks and she doesn't have a mark. Yeah. Um, and he finds out that Nikolai has already called for David as soon as he gets up. So he's got to go meet the boss man, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, as soon as he is like ambulatory. And then he learns that Hannah Pale Moon is the uh, is the nurse that was stitching him up. So she is the most likely person that has his phone. Yeah. And his it, it hasn't been tampered with. They're like, oh, we would we would never mess with like a director's stuff. Right. So the integrity of the tribulation force still intact. We think. We, OK. David's paranoia doesn't think so. Yeah. But we, we think he might be all right. OK. Um, so Buck is contemplating all of the injuries and scars that he's earned. Like he looks at himself in the mirror and he's like a different guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is like, again, like in a kind of good, quiet thematic moment, like he's been through almost literal battles at this point, you know, he's kind of looking in the mirror and like, doesn't recognize himself. I'm kind of looking at his son and like how he's grown as a person throughout this. So I don't hate it. Yeah. I it's not awful. Like it, it somehow works for me, you know? Yeah. I really like, um, uh, like Buck in this section. He yeah. is really, really good. Yeah. And he gets to, you know, do some really Buck stuff later. Now that moment of quiet kind of gets broken as he walks into the main room where everybody's sort of congregating in the strong building and everyone's gotten very solemn and Chloe is on the phone holding back tears. Zeke Sr. got nabbed by the GC. Oh no. Yep, he's been charged with subversion um, and they don't know where he is. So Zeke Sr. has been nabbed. Zeke Jr. is close to being compromised. Oh, and I just want to say, Kenny's like, the cute baby moments that Kenny gets in this, top tier. We get so many, and like, it's like at the worst times, too, because everyone's like, Zeke, Zeke's in trouble, and Kenny's like, Zeke! <laughs> yeah, it's like the baby that, like, doesn't understand, and he's, like, breaking the tension a little bit, but it's almost worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, the plan is they, they've got to go rescue Zeke Jr. Like, yeah. they, because he has a lot of their alias data and stuff with him, too. So, like, they want to save him, but, like, also... We got to get him yeah, because they, he has all of our stuff. If they crack Zeke, then they're done for. Yeah. And as they've made sure to tell us multiple times, Zeke ain't the brightest. Mm -hmm. So he might crack easy, especially if they have his dad. So they got to get him. Zion is about to go live for the very first time since the resurrection. And there's some stuff in here that Alex overheard and was like, why are they being so like focused on like the anti-Semitism here? Because he says the indwelt beast will soon take out his rage against the Jews. And I just wrote, why, Tim? Why is he going to do that? Prophecy? Uh, yeah, okay. What we are starting to see, and they laid the groundwork for it in the indwelling, is that Tim's interpretation of the book of Revelation and the woman and the dragon and all of that imagery is that 
now that he's back, Nikolai is going to blame his murder on the Jewish people, and he is going to take out his anger on them by any means necessary. And so the next group of people to be specifically singled out as a priority to be saved, both physically and spiritually, are the Jews. Mm -hmm. Now, that's going to take us through several other books now. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and say that now that we kind of have a running plot thread vis-a-vis what's going to happen with Israel. Yes. Um, And they're getting into a lot of concepts like beyond the 144,000, what they call the Jewish remnant. Yeah, like book 10 remnant is Uh where I'm guessing that really picks up. That is where it picks up. um, But it's going to be through this one and the next one as well. Like I said earlier, we get more instances of Zion specifically training and spending time with Chaim because that pairing is going to be relevant to those events to follow. What do you think about Zion and Chaim's voice? First off, he pronounces it Zion. Uh, I don't know if that I don't know which one is accurate. I actually don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I've been I know like when I say Zion, it's probably a little bit off like because I'm kind of more like Americanizing it. I, I don't know. Chaim's voice is de- like Mueller's interpretation is definitely he's leaning into it a whole lot more than uh, Farone was. And it's a little bit much, but he's also trying to do the voice of a man who's had his jaw wired shut. Yeah. And doesn't have an American accent. So I kind of am okay with with the level that Mueller's at. It doesn't make me cringe. Like, it doesn't go over the line into, like, this is a character. It just mm-hmm. sounds like a guy with an accent, like an old guy with yeah. an accent. I think it's okay. Yeah. Um, and Zion is a little bit more subdued. Um, I didn't think really either of the voices, like, struck me as, like, whoa, I will want to get to the Wongs. Uh, before we listen to how he does different types of accents and see where things go from there. Um, because I've I've specifically avoided re-listening to parts of this um, prior to the episodes. So okay. we'll, we'll get there. All right. So on to chapter four. David gets on the line with Hannah. She goes, relax, I have your phone, just come meet me. Um, so he immediately does something that we i'm not sure if we knew he could do this but he turns off the bugging device outside of her room there are so many bugs in this palace dude yeah (laughs) and he flips it off um and he goes up there and while he's on his way i don't know if he's doing it on his phone or like on his way out he assigns albie's gc persona to the carpathia memorial airstrip and then to the detention facility in colorado springs where they have uh patty or is it Pueblo where they have them? I think it's Pueblo. I think it's Pueblo. And we find out that the name of the officer in charge of that facility where they're holding Hattie is a guy named Pinkerton Stevens. Y'all knew we weren't going to get away from these bad names, guys. It's, they, they just keep coming. This is a specifically bad one. Pinkerton Stevens. And you know, for, for Pinkerton Stevens, for a reason that I can't get into yet, I'll give it a slight pass. But I, we'll, yeah, I will give it a pass, too. We've actually had other names like this that we've given passes to for the same reason, mm-hmm. but we'll get there. Um, so Ray and Albie, they make their landing. Albie continues to be so much cooler and more competent than Ray because Albie immediately walks out and was like, I'm a deputy commander. Where's my vehicle? And the guy's like, uh, um, uh, sir, we didn't anticipate your arrival. Yeah, I don't care. Where's my car? <laughs> and the guy's like, uh, uh, let me get my supervisor. <laughs> and runs and gets the supervisor. I think her name is like Miss Hamilton or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sort of marches up to him and she's like, I don't know who you think you are, but you can't just waltz in here. Like, and he's like, 
uh, I'm a deputy commander. And she's like, I don't care who you say you are. I'm going to report you for not using the uh, the appropriate greeting. So for not doing a Heil Hitler, she's going to report him. And they kind of sit there and like big dog each other for a minute. He's like, well, I've been busying up for hours, like uh, coordinate a bunch of stuff. So sorry if I don't know the new uh, the, the new responses and stuff. Yeah, the whole thing within the party is to report other people for not being as loyal to the party as you are. <laughs> It's almost like you can tell who their influences are. Yeah. <laughs> like, or who they're trying to rip off when they're writing this. And so they go back and forth, and finally, like, right as it needs to, the editing of David's records kicks in when she checks the computer, and it shows him as a deputy commander, and she kind of comes back sheepishly. She's like, you, you can have my personal car. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Changing records, uh, trying to one-up each other, prove loyalty to the party. Man, it's just like when... George Orwell's 1984. George Orwell, 1964, brother. Some of the, some of the more like you know, like because you say like who they're like influenced by. I feel like the, the we start getting peak dystopia in the mark almost. Like I think uh, we're there. Yeah, we're there yeah. now, and we're about to get to the uh, the actual explanation of the mark itself. And like I think we are very there. Yes. Um, so back to Buck and Chloe, and this is the Buck and Chloe scene that I didn't entirely hate. So they're going through the garage, and they're looking at both of their vehicles and all the leftover cash of vehicles in the Strong Building. And among them is the old Range Rover. And Buck, like, walks over and, like, slaps the hood and, like, lists all of the things the Range Rover has been in. <laughs> like, this baby can fit so many plot contrivances in it. <laughs> And as he's talking about it, I think he refers to the car with feminine pronouns and Chloe like yeah, guffaws old, at old, it. Old Bessie saw us through a lot, didn't she? Oh, yeah. He calls it old Bessie. And like Chloe just gets mad at that for some yeah. reason. She, you men and your penchant for attributing female characteristics to your cars. See, this is just written by like two old guys who like think they know what feminism is. I saw I saw a feminist on uh like TV when they were marching through Washington, so I know feminism. Look, 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 I know what these feminazis are like, all right? <laughs> Rush Limbaugh told me. So, <laughs> and uh yeah, this tribulation brought to you by Land Rover, because <laughs> they really sing the praises of this Range Rover. And of course, the era of the Range Rover is out, early two thousands, the era of the Humvee is in so of course they grab a shiny white hummer and then they kiss they kiss fiercely <laughs> like they have a nice little back and forth they're like man we've been through a lot huh you know i'm glad you're with me and then you know they kiss and it's it's not bad it's yeah. fine it's got it's a little bit more like the david and annie stuff i yeah because they're together it. and they're not wiping food off each other's faces we yeah, thought come, we forgot about that one, huh? We've come a long way since uh, the great American cookie. Now we have a Hummer. <laughs> we have a Hummer. So David meets with Hannah. She hands him his phone, and she's like, I want to show you something. And immediately David's like, oh, she's not hitting on me, is she? <laughs> Got all these GC women with their loose morals. She's going to try to pull me into her apartment. Um, and she steps back into the light, pulls her hair off her forehead, and of course she has the mark of the believer, and he's like, oh, okay, wow, all right, I'm not comped. <laughs> I think he, he hugs her, he calls her sister. Oh, you know, thank God, this wasn't an op. We, <laughs> we have another one, which... At this point, like, Ray is so paranoid that I'm just checking, I'm expecting everyone to try to, like, smudge the other person's mark, but he doesn't yeah. do that. As we close out the chapter, Ray and Albie, uh, they arrive at the Pueblo facility, and they make their way in, 
and they hear the supervisor on the intercom, and it's described as a high-pitched voice, neither a woman or a man. Out from the back comes uh, a person in a... Is it a power chair? Wheelchair? I think it's a power chair, I right? I think it's a... Yeah, it's a power chair, I believe. And the voice that Frank does is a little, a little rough um, because this person has been through a lot. They are very disfigured, wearing facial prosthetics, um, clearly someone who's suffered severe injuries, and we're going to find out why later. Don't know you, Elbaz. You, Barry. You look familiar, UGC. Yeah, he kind of sounds like Peter Laurie a little bit. A little bit. A little bit Peter Laurie. They linger on this Pinkerton Stevens character's physical deformities a lot. Yeah. And I don't know why. I think they kind of are setting up what we're going to learn about this person, but at the same time, it gets almost needlessly grotesque with some of the descriptions um, that kind of just made me go, "Eh, I don't like this. Because it feels almost voyeuristic. Yeah. It, like, it's not like, hey, this is a character that you've been with for a long time and that you care about. Look at what's become of them. You know, like it happened to Buck or something. It's more of just a, hey, look at this character. Gross, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, in a way, it, it's, it's, it's setting up for a little bit of something It like is. That. Yeah, it is. And I know we're kind of burying the lead on this. So it is. And we'll get to that, I think, in the next chapter. But like... Okay, I mean, okay, I'll just, I'll talk about that when we get there. We'll just go move on. Yeah, let's put a pin in it. Um, But I did like the tension here. Like, if you don't know what's coming, there is a very tense atmosphere in the room. He tells Albie to holster his gun and strap it. Albie holsters it, but he doesn't strap it. Ray is letting his mind race. He still doesn't trust Albie. Like, if Albie screws them over in this scenario, Ray is done. Yeah. And so because they're like in, you know, again, like in the belly of the beast in this GC facility with just this guy that they met once. It's being really, really shady. My first listen through, I was. Oh, yeah, I was hooked with tension. Yeah, totally. And then everything drops when Stevens looks at Albie and goes, you have a smudge on your forehead. Last time this happened was in book five with Ernie and it was a fake. So Ray just about a brick at Mm -hmm. that moment and starts planning who he's gonna punch first not just who's gonna punch first who he's gonna shoot first oh yeah he's whose gun he's gonna grab how he's gonna shoot his way out of there like ray's ready to go yeah and so that's how we end that chapter and then in chapter five we're back to the zeke rescue so the gc have staked out Zeke's gas station. Chloe and Buck are kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do. They are corresponding with Zeke via phone because Zeke is in a basement buried underneath the gas station that no one knows is there. Yeah. But he doesn't have long because they're really sniffing around. Everybody's kind of moving around, settling into the strong building all around them. You know, Leah's there and Zion and Kenny and Hyam. Like, you know, everybody's there. They are still intensely studying. And like Hyam, who really needs to be resting because he's recovering from surgery, just will not take a break. And we have a really cool moment that calls all the way back to the first book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, Hyam, like, looks at Buck and, like, you know, it's been so long, but, like, I just got to ask, like, why why weren't you at that United Nations meeting? You know, like, your entire career was, like, banking on, like, just being at this meeting. Like, why weren't you there? And Buck finally gets to tell, like, oh, yeah, it's because, like, that was dark magic. You were, you were fooled. And I think Frank's performance is really good there. Like, he kind of has... 
Hayam slowly running the event over and over in his mind until it starts to clear. Mm-hmm. When it finally does and sort of the, the scales fall from his eyes, if I'm making kind of a biblical reference, he's like, I get it now. I'm so sorry. We got to stop Nikolai, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, hey, we will. We will. We need to train and plan and study and get you up to speed with everyone because God has a plan for you. Um, and even Zion doesn't know quite what it is, but he knows that he needs to impart everything he knows into Zion. And when he says, like, this man is pure evil, Zion again says, well, wait till you hear what he has planned for God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. And then we get the villain meeting. Oh, yeah, here we go. It's time. So we're going to get introduced to the mark and what it does, what it's all about. And this is what made me go, oh, God, no. (laughs) So David goes to meet with Carpathia, and he's reminding himself in the elevator because he's he's theory crafting about, like, can he shoot lasers out of his eyes? Can he possess people? What can he do? And he gets to quote 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. That old chestnut, old standby verse you hear a lot in church. Mm -hmm. More focus on skin color refers to Hannah as the beautiful dark sister he met earlier. It's just bad. I don't like it. We meet Carpathia. He opens the door on the meeting and there's like, I think, 20 guys in there and Carpathia is like breathing through his nose and I think they describe him like a uh, like a, a professional football player like psyching himself up in a locker room. Yeah. So like he's manic. It was as if he were a football player caged in the locker room before kickoff of a championship game. Yeah, he's going all remember the Titans back there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he's pacing back and forth. Like I feel like they're trying to get across that this is a an eternal being trapped in a mortal body and doesn't like it and doesn't quite know how to like handle it you know mm-hmm. just neat it's a neat little touch the first order of business like literally first thing he's like i don't like this ceiling get rid of it <laughs> he's like he says he wants the entire ceiling to be blown off the top of this building replaced with transparent glass so that he can be exposed to the heavens <laughs> Which is, like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody in the room is being like, yes, yes, your excellency. Yes, my lord. Yes, everything. They're falling down, worshiping him, kissing his feet, you know. And he makes sure to put in his terms, I raised myself from the dead. He calls attention to the miracle being that he raised himself from the dead. If we read through the Bible, I think in most if not all instances of referring to Jesus' resurrection, it says God raised him from the dead. Yeah. Which I need, I know like Trinity, three in one, all of that, but the way that it's phrased, at least in English, is that God raised him from the dead. Yeah. Or that he rose from the dead. Not that he raised himself. You know, that's a weird kind of like antichrist wordplay thing they got going on there. And it's not the only one that I'm going to point out in this section because there's one that made me go, oh, my God, it's been in front of us the whole time. So Nikolai, of course, blames the Jews for his murder. Um, He specifically says, like, those who struck me down in their own city and talks about how they're going to pay. And he's going to rub their noses in it specifically. And I think that this is supposed to remind us that there are still Orthodox Jews that hate him um, because of that sort of kinship that I think even evangelicals feel with orthodox jews um i don't 
know if the feeling is reciprocated. I doubt it. Um, but they sort of see themselves. You've heard me use the phrase adopted Jews. Yeah. Um, that they see themselves as part of the chosen people. A lot of them. That's why a lot of evangelicals will make pilgrimages to Israel. Like they'll go do the Holy Land tours and everything. But we're seeing the Jews as Nikolai's next target. Because yeah. Of course, how do you make the worst villain in the most despotic regime? You have to call back to the Third Reich as well. Yes. So I don't think there's any small amount of that. And in order to rub the Jews' noses in his new divinity, call back to way earlier in book three, Nikolai plans to enter the Jewish temple and declare himself God. Yeah. Now we're going to have to wait on that. That's not going to happen until the next book, but it's on its way. He's already in the planning stages. Also how like he picks up a Bible, just plops it down this table and goes, this is the end of his playbook. Got to know this. Which like he should have done earlier. Yeah. Like it feels like that's something that he would have done, especially because he's always known that they were religious fundamentalists and like religious terrorists. Like you would have thought he would have done that prior um but i guess just satan cuts to the chase a little bit more <laughs> yeah satan's not a fluff guy and you know, is a very kind of hatchet man just the facts you know <laughs> nikki was all spectacle old old lucifer oh, we do business here yeah yeah kind of into that yeah now i'm gonna say something about the choice of name for the new religion they call it carpathianism it's dumb wordy too many syllables that's dumb you can do something better well, just call it, you know, just they could have just called it Satanism. I'm, I mean, they're still trying to mask it a little bit, but yeah, like the Church of the Morning Star or yeah. something like that. Like you could, you could do you the could Church just, of the Risen, Risen King, the Church of the, the Risen, like you know, uh, yeah, the Risen King, something like that. You could literally go any other direction than just the guy's last name and ism. Yeah, it feels lazy. It does. Go back to your marketing guys, Nikolai. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Have him beheaded. Oh no! How are you gonna do that? You'll find out. Oh God. Um. <laughs> And he does make a fun quote about Enigma Babylon. He said that it failed because it had no God but itself. And that's actually how Christians feel about like touchy feely, nebulous spirituality and like new age stuff or more progressive forms of like spirituality that the God is the spirituality itself. They have no personal relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Nikolai's kind of saying the same thing. Yeah. He's like, what they were missing this whole time was worshiping me. <laughs> it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Yes, with my balls. <laughs> can't do that. Look at my statue, it's right there. Right, my st- relationship with my statue, and it's big brass balls. <laughs> <laughs> you guys think we're making this voice up, we're not. So, <laughs> oh God. Um, speaking of the statue... <laughs> Uh, the statue of Nikolai is going to be raised in every major city to be worshipped. It is not going to be the gigantic one. It's going to be about life size. So there's going to be an image of the beast in every major city that people are going to be compelled to worship um, by force if necessary. We get some confirmation about Viv Ivans that she is not related to Nikolai. Um, that he believed she was his aunt. She was the woman who helped raise him. Viv Ivan's, like I've said every time she comes up, character from the prequels. I'm just going to read the plot summary for The Rising, the first book in the prequels. In The Rising, Marilena Carpathia has only one dream, to be a mother. So when a mysterious clairvoyant promises the fulfillment of this dream, Marilena does not hesitate. Through genetic engineering and the power of the Prince of Darkness himself, Marilena is about to become a chosen vessel, one who will unknowingly give birth to the greatest evil the world has ever known. (laughs) So Viv plays some kind of role in that, and I'm sure we'll get there one day. 
as Viv goes through the plan to renumber the districts, as we talked about with the uh, the factors of 666, we find out about the Mark of Loyalty. Here we go. So Mark of Loyalty is going to be something required for all GC personnel. Every GC citizen in the entire world will have to bear this mark on their forehead or their forehand. It is literally just right out of Revelation, the Mark of the Beast. Here's where it gets fun. Remember how I said that this could have been written yesterday? Go ahead, bud. All right. <clears throat> the miniature biochip with the suffix numbers embedded in it can be inserted as painlessly as a vaccination ah! in a matter of seconds. Ah! Citizens may choose either location and visible will be a thin half-inch scar and to its immediate left in a six-point black ink impossible to remove under penalty of law the number that designates the home region of the individual. That number may be included in the embedded ship should the person prefer that one of the variations of the name of the potentate appear on the flesh. Yep. They're putting microchips in the vaccines, brother. I ain't gonna get no vaccine as a mark of the beast, brother. I will not be chipped. I will not be a sheep. This is not communist China, brother. All of it. Listen to this book. This is it, guys. Like, I know that I cannot trace all of this ridiculous anti-vax hog bullshit back to this book. I'm angry now, okay? You hear me? This is me getting angry. I can't believe that this had such an impact and i know we cannot lay all of the anti-vax hysteria especially from these hogs directly onto left behind but it had a bigger impact than i think most people realize because even if people didn't necessarily read this this was being taught in churches this was literally in a sermon at my very large pentecostal church we were explained that it would be a biochip through a vaccine or an injectable vaccine-like procedure that would administer the mark of the beast and that it would be compulsory. Jerry and Tim probably didn't make it up. Maybe they did, but they certainly propagated it. And here we f***ing are. Yep. God damn it, dude. <sighs> Get your f***ing vaccine, please. Like, I'm not f***ing playing. Like, this is not a bit... I'm dead serious, and I know that, like, I'm normally like, eh, I'm just having fun or whatever. Like, I got friends and family that are immunocompromised and that, like, even though they're vaxxed, you know, Delta's still a danger. The longer that we go without people getting f***ing vaccinated, the more people are going to f***ing die, okay? Like, that, that threw me off, man. Like, it is such, like, f***ing LARPing. Right, and it, it's like, because in the book, it's presented very, very cartoonish almost but then you see like how that goes from like you know this cartoonish you know villain meeting to actually like you know real life people parroting this uh just out in the open it's it's kind of horrific yeah and like again tim lahaye is in the ground i don't think that even he could have possibly foreseen the damage that giving airtime to this kind of idea has done yeah and you know what? You could say I'm making too big of a deal about this, that the anti-vax stuff would have happened anyway in another form. I disagree. I think that a lot of it gets laid at this with the millions of copies of this that were proliferated throughout the world. I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, and like, and I, I like this book so far, what I've read of it. 
this has pissed me off on a level that I cannot describe. It kind of flowed down where it started with these books and then all of like these churches bought these books and then preachers paired this to the congregations and the congregation went home and paired this to their kids and so some of the kids were maybe saying this at school and so like the information I'm, I'm reading snow crash right now and i'm just like seeing the nam shub proliferate yeah i'm gonna I, it's a meme it yeah. became a meme and i'm it became a cultural meme i'm gonna call back to one of the first things you said in like episode zero or episode one, when you referred to pseudo deuterocanon yeah. and the canonicity of this stuff, these books helped push the concrete ideas as to what the mark of the beast was going to be into people's minds. And those people are your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and uncles and your pastors and your local community politicians and your state level politicians, and in some cases, your federal level ones. It's still there. Yeah. It's a virus. I said I said a word earlier about a minute ago that I'd like to define real quick because it kind of uh, it'll help me illustrate this point f um, further. Namshub is a Sumerian word that kind of means like incantation or magical like spell. Yeah. yeah, like a spell. And so this uh, this bit of information was um, put out there. It was hallowed through the church and then in the minds of like millions of people. And th that little bit of information and its proliferation changed culture uh, permanently like um, and so that is the level of impact that this um, kind of stuff has and i'm gonna try to take us up in mood a little bit because i know that this has been kind of a bummer everything we just said and what you just said is why you have to finish metal gear solid 2 Gavin. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry guys uh, let's we're gonna get back to it thanks for indulging me i try not to get too angry on here but but this has got me to a, to a boiling point so back to the story the thing that stood out to me here is that Walter Moon kind of does a uh, Apostle Peter. He basically says, like, I would be willing to follow you anywhere and I would die for you kind of line, which echoes John 13, 37. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord. Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you, Jesus answered. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. And so keep an eye on Walter Moon um, because there is another sort of like biblical inversion um, as far as I remember in this story, I think with the, the Peter thing. Mm -hmm. um, Hello, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait for that movie. Oh, it's gonna be good. So, and then we get the magical implementation of the way that they are going to enforce the mark of the beast welcome to the terror boys guillotines and not like the fun kind that you use on billionaires these are going to be guillotines that they will use if you refuse the mark off with your head and why would you refuse the mark because you can customize it yeah oh that's right you can customize it yeah you're customizing we forgot to mention that because um you find out that people can customize their marks with any design that they want, as long as it contains the initials of the potentate, N-J-C. Nikolai Jetty Carpathia. Not Jesus Christ. Has this been here the whole time? I, I think it's been Nikolai here. Carpathia, not Christ, Antichrist, yeah. N-J-C, not Jesus Christ. It's, it's been here. How did we miss this? I, I mean, listen, it's, it's rotting our brains. <laughs> My brain is pudding. <laughs> Now, because of these books, and I'm now seeing these connections like Pepe Sylvia, not, not Nikolai Jenny Carpathia, not Jesus Christ. It's, it's all here. 
Ooh, we got more books to get through. <laughs> we're, 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 ha- we're, we're over halfway done. I know, man. It's, and you know what? I don't hate this one so far, except for the insane rant that I went on earlier. <laughs> we now have a ticking clock for David because they got 30 days to get that mark. Yep. At least the inner circle do, but that's also going to include David. That's also going to mean Annie. That's going to mean Mac. That's going to mean Abdullah. Everybody who's got direct contact with Carpathia has 30 days, and now the clock is ticking. But then we find out they're going to get another volunteer to go first. This really nice uh, Chinese family. Oh. They, had a, they have a daughter that already works for the GC, and they got a son. He's a real whiz kid. Dad's a real uh, big donor to the GC. They love this kid. His name's uh, Chang. Oh. Definitely want to give him the mark first, because we want to give him a job in the GC. Uh-oh. It's the it's Wong. It's the Wong family. So we have Ming Toy and her brother Chang, who is uh is also a believer. And for some reason he's lined up to get the mark. And we don't know why yet, but that's kind of a big old uh-oh. Mm-mm. Right. So now we're into chapter six. Back to the GC detainment facility. So Pingerton Stevens leads Ray and Albie into another more secure room. Right this way. There's no bugs. Yeah, walk this way. <laughs> um, and he basically calls them down. And he's like, gentlemen, gentlemen, we're on the same team. And he says that over and over again. He's like, let's start over. I say he is risen. What do you say? And they're like, he's risen indeed, I guess. And they're like, Who who's risen indeed? And they're like, I, look, can we stop playing games? And he's like, nah, nah. Answer the question, who's risen indeed? And they, the race, like, we're done. We're burned. Uh, this is it, guys. And then Stevens goes, I got something to show you. And he unsnaps his prosthesis and basically pulls off. It kind of reminds me of, like, have you seen pictures of old World War One era, like, prosthetics? Yes. With, like, the metal clamps and stuff. Like, that's what I think that they're describing. Like, they're mostly made out of, like, polymer. And, like, some of them were made out of, like, rubber and stuff like that. Like, hard rubber. And he takes the prosthesis off his face and it goes again for that kind of grotesque spectacle it's like oh man you could see into his brain and it's it's gross um, which i highly doubt that that doesn't sound sanitary his, his eyes are falling out yeah his like eyeballs are falling out like there's a big hole in his face and did you want me to read this or is that too much let's just skip it it's yeah. like i said it's needlessly grotesque albie and ray are like what is this why are we doing this and finally Stevens has had enough of playing games. He's like, he's like it's Christ. Christ, guys. It's Christ. I'm, we're, I told you, we're on the same team. And they're like, oh. <laughs> and so Stevens is a believer. And he's a believer who has been embedded with the GC. We got another one. He's been in there for a long time. Specifically, he's very interested in Hattie Durham. We wonder how Hattie has had an, as many chances as she has. This guy's been working behind the scenes specifically trying to keep her safe because he didn't like the way that Nikolai treated her, almost like he was close to them and got to see it in action. Who's Pinkerton Stevens? It's Steve Plank! Holy shit! Buck's old boss Steve Plank is back from, like, book two, I guess. We haven't seen him in forever. You guys didn't care about me until I put on the mask. (laughs) No, you're not wrong. Um, so we find out that Steve Plank, Buck's old uh, ride-or-die boss, used to be Nikolai's communications director, had a building fall on him during yep. the Wrath of the Lamb earthquake. So I guess during Nikolai's, we haven't seen him since book three. Building fell on him right as he was praying the prayer of salvation. 
Um, he came back. He was miraculously able to have surgery done and save his life, but it left him deformed. He adopted a new name, a new alias, ingratiated himself back into the system to watch over Hattie this entire time. Boom, big reveal. Ah. And so we're back to David and everyone's filing out of the villain meeting and they're all falling to their knees. They're kissing his feet. They're, you know, hugging his legs. Like they're being, they're prostrating themselves in front of him. It's, it's like a ridiculous show. And David's kind of waiting in line like, man, I can't. What am I supposed to do? Like shake Satan's hand and be like, uh, welcome back, boss. Like, it's like, I got to show enthusiasm. Like, I got to, you know, bend the knee a little bit. I don't know what to do. Which well, he doesn't really have to worry about it because he gets up to Nikolai and Nikolai is like, David, my beloved David. Which, biblical reference, King David was referred to as God's beloved. Oh, okay. So, you know, more of that, like, pulling from scripture thing. It really sucks which, that, he, that he didn't become, like, like a, a regional potentate. It does, but, you know, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. At which point, after calling him my beloved David, uh, David Hasid unceremoniously vomits all over Nikolai. <laughs> so this is, like, the second time that David has lost consciousness and just passed out. Have you seen my wife? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buck checks with Zeke uh, in the underground, and we know that the GC is circling like vultures. They're getting closer and closer, but he has to get off the call because he gets a call from Ray going, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> Guess who I just ran into? Back to David. He wakes up in the hospital, and Hannah is there. They pulled Hannah out because she was the one who did the original surgery on him, and he's like, yo, we got to get out of here. So here's your plot for our GC sleeper agents. So Mac, Abdullah, Hannah, anybody else that's GC working in New Babylon, they have that ticking clock. They got to get out. And Hannah has learned about Annie, but already checked and made sure that she hasn't been processed yet. So no word on Annie still. David reaches out, calls for Mac and Abdullah to go, look, we got to strategize about how we're going to get out of here. Back to Steve. He leads Ray and Albie to Hattie's cell because he's going to help them rescue her. But right at that moment, there's a loud bang and something happens on the other side of the door. So in a hurry, they break the door down and they find Hattie with a bed sheet tied around her neck, laying unconscious on the floor. Yep, she's tried to hang herself. Yep, she tried to hang herself on a light fixture and the light fixture broke. Now, this is a thing. And again, remember how I tell you about like how you hear some of the same stories over and over and yeah. like guest speakers and stuff at church? The breaking of the apparatus that you tried to hang yourself on being a sign from God is a pretty common one. Yeah. I was exposed to a lot of graphic descriptions of suicide um, when I was younger, especially in like youth group. Like they don't really tell you as a kid, but like when you're in like youth group stuff, you hear that kind of story a lot. And like, well, I survived or, you know, I was, I was taken to the hospital or the thing that I tried to hang myself on broke. And that was God telling me that I still needed to live. Doesn't make it any less comfortable. I don't like this. Um, and essentially, Hattie thought Ray was never coming, and that's why she decided to take her own life. She even wrote a suicide note. It says, thanks for nothing, old friends. Whew. So it's, it's rough. But they're able to do mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. Um, Ray finally kisses Hattie, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Under the worst possible circumstances, they do get to swap spit. <laughs> yep. It's like eight books too late, but he finally got that, uh, that, that full necking session. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean that they literally swap spit because people are going to be commenting like, how do you think mouth to mouth works? Like it's, it's figure speech, dude, calm down. So Albie, again, the guy with the plan goes, all right, cool. Um, Hattie's dead. Yeah. We're going to process her as dead. She's dead. And we're going to wheel her out of here on a gurney. 
And that's all she wrote. Good plan. Yeah. Keep Albie around and let him do all the plans from now on. So they load her body, saying body in quotation marks, onto a gurney. You know, everybody's like, oh, no, it's so sad. She killed herself. And they wheel her out into the van and then they're gone on their way back to the airstrip and then back to the safe house. So almost without event, didn't have to one punch anybody, didn't have to shoot at anybody. They just get in and they get out. Yep. Getting out of this place. Pretty easy. Yep. On to chapter seven. And that's where we're going to close for this episode. So Zeke walks Buck through how to manually disengage his brake lights. So Buck rewires his brake lights so he can like touch the wires together to like turn them on and off so he can drive dark if he needs to. Mm -hmm. And we got Buck in like a big car driving through ruined Chicago. Like it feels almost nostalgic at this point. Yeah. Doing car tricks. And we find out that the GC have still been buzzing surveillance over quote irradiated Chicago. So like while the strong building is safe, it ain't that safe because like the GC knows the tribulation forces in Chicago. Yeah. They can't have gotten far, but like there's always going to be that underlying tension there. And then I wrote, and now this book brought to you by Hummer. Because <laughs> the Hummer can take any part of the road, any rubble, any potholes, any divots or ditches. Like, it has no problem. Do you think they did get, like, some kind of, like, Hummer reached out? I highly doubt it. Okay, so it's just it's just uh, Jerry really liking Hummers. I would, it was kind of a thing at okay. the time, around this time. Like, Humvees were big. Like, you saw Hummer dealerships everywhere. It's before gas, like, went astronomically through the roof and even then it still took a little bit of time for the humvee thing to fall off um because like the h2 had come out you know and people were driving those like you went and saw those all over the place okay you know what people at that level like of like christian stuff have a weird way of getting money out of things so actually i wouldn't be surprised but i doubt it okay you know it's like you don't get a kickback for mentioning mcdonald's in your fiction book yeah you know on the phone with Zeke, Zeke's like, hey, by the way, we should probably torch this place. I have a lot of sensitive records in here. And so they're going to rig a spark plug to a series of fume leaking gas cans on, and then a spigot that's going to be on a timer. And Zeke goes into this whole digression about, well, it's not the gas that burns, it's the fumes. And which is, by the way, if you guys don't know that, that's true. It's yeah. not the gas that burns. Um, and he talks about putting his cigarettes out in a can of gasoline. Technically, you can do that. I don't recommend doing that ever but like if it's settled and it's not off gassing the same way technically you can do it because the liquid itself is not what burns and it reminded me of this there were these stickers that they gave us in elementary school because they had like a special assembly to teach us like how to behave around like gasoline Mm -hmm. and it had this character that they drew that was like an evil like ghost lich looking lady and she was she was the color of like gas like fumes like she was like a silver like shimmery but her hair was on fire and she had fire in her eyes and you put her on the gas cans around the house to remind kids not to uh to like touch them or like do anything with them because it, it dude that that's another image like the weird neon count von count muppet that like was nightmare fuel for me as a kid. Like if somebody's ever seen that, if you guys know what the I'm talking about, please post it. I'll try to Google it. But like, it was a thing. Like they came to our school and they gave us these stickers for our parents to put on the gas cans. So weird. Ray and the crew put down in Montana to rest a little while, kind of before they're going to head back home. They rent a motel and uh, Albie gives his testimony. Now we've heard so many testimonies at this point from like new Trib Force members, right? Mm-hmm. I think I kind of know why, and I'm not 
gonna like make fun of Jerry and Tim for doing this now because it's like not that it's repetitive. I think they're coming at it with the every one of these books is being picked up at like airports and libraries and all kinds of stuff. And we want to put at least one of them in each of these stories. I don't know if they've succeeded at doing that, but I think now they're really trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but, but it's all stuff we've heard before. You know, I was a criminal. I ran with dangerous people. Like, you know, even when I uh, opposed the new world order, I wasn't doing it because I was a Christian. You know, I did it because I just didn't like Nikolai. But he says it to Hattie with a kind of sweet intention. He's like, look, you think you're unlovable. So was I. And we kind of have someone who's trying to meet Hattie on her level. Look, like, look, I've done bad things. Like, Albie's probably killed people. Like, he's, you know, makes no bones about being a criminal. And, you know, either he's killed people or he has been party to killing people we know he almost was with ray you know being a weapons dealer and stuff like that um and hattie just kind of looks at him and says hey don't worry about me so they check into a motel hattie in her own room and the two boys in theirs and ray can hear hattie sobbing on the other side of the wall and then he hears another voice over in the other bed and it's albie praying for hattie Uh, that's really nice it's like a nice little scene he says you know As he drifted off to sleep, half an hour later in the bed across from Albie's, Hattie's lament still wafted through the wall. Rayford heard Albie turn and pat his pillow, then settle back. God, the little man whispered, save that girl. Yeah, it's really nice. I I actually thought it was a touching little scene. And so as the chapter closes out, we get us a nice little mini action scene that, that ends with kind of a punch. Uh, Buck finally hits the station. He circles around. He sees the GC cars scoping the place out. He's kind of like a tank crawling over rubble in the dark. Like he's going like one or two miles an hour. He's kind of able to rush in and help Zeke. Like they're loading as fast as possible. The timer's set to blow in like five minutes. And like Zeke's all tripping over himself and dropping shit and like running into walls. It's very like Keystone Cops of them trying to get out of there. It's not cool at all. Zeke sees that the GC guys are getting out of their car on the security monitor. And so they like sprint to the car and they jump and slam on the gas. And then he has left a very important bag behind. Oh no. So Buck has to do like a donut and like spin the car around. And like, they have to like grab the bag out of the passenger side door, but it's too late. Cause they're blocked in. And Buck just says, screw it. Deja vu. Full reverse and backs over the GC guy's car and they like dive out of the way and he goes like up a like pile of rubble and then back onto the road as they're driving away the sky lights up as the gas station just just is incinerated in a giant explosion and then a Hummer logo just comes on the screen <laughs> you think they killed those GC guys I, they're dead I, those guys gotta be dead they're right? dead and in hell yeah like they sent them straight to hell right yeah they're they're yeah damned because <laughs> there's no way they could have known that the place was gonna blow up yeah no like maybe they got out of there but I think they blew them up yeah they're and <laughs> Zeke ends it with so much for that job <laughs> could have been a better one liner man could have done it And that's going to take us out of chapter seven. So we are one third of the way through the mark. Gab, what are you thinking so far, buddy? You know, much better than indwelling so far. It is better. Yeah, much better. Uh, I'm having fun with this one, you know, for the uh, the most iconic uh, symbol of like all rapture theology. The book is living up to the hype so So far. far, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be back again next episode to do part two. Thank you guys for coming along on this arduous journey with us. This has been I Survived the Rapture. I'm Shane Bazell. And I'm Gavin Russell. And until next time, do not put out your cigarettes in a gas can. Bye. 
Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survived the Rapture is part of the IndieSource Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit IndieSource.com and check out the IndieSource Discord. We'll see you there, and thanks for listening. He can help you and leave.